0: chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there with me, uh, read along. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 14 uh, in detail, but I actually just, I want to read the entire right from verse 1, just because, not only to give us a bigger context, but just because this is the Christmas story. Um, So verse 1 of Luke chapter 2 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among, those, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that that truth of Christmas, even though it's real every single day, Christmas is a reality, not history. But Lord, I pray just today that that truth would just be all the more real to us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want you to be here. We want you to be among us. We want you to, um, just, Lord, just help us push aside any distractions, any preparations that we have to make. Lay it aside so that this can be time for you to speak to us through your word. And Lord, I pray that you would be greatly glorified in it. I pray that, Lord, this truth that we hear would not just be convicting, but, Lord, would inspire great joy as we hear that good news that a Savior has been born to us. We ask that you would just be with us in our time together once again this day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was sort of thinking about Christmas this week, I, I was reminded just how hard it is these days for people to wait. There almost seems to be sort of an inbuilt impatience that exists in many of our lives these days. And just to kind of show you what I mean, uh, I want to take you back in time, like I'm talking way, way back in time, literally thousands upon thousands of days to when I was a kid. Um... And I don't want to scare anyone, you know, but you know, warning here anyone under the age of 20, you may want to cover your ears. Because when I was a kid, like if you wanted to go to a movie, you had to call the movie theater on the phone in order to find out what movies they had playing and what times they were playing. And if someone in town was calling ahead of you, you got what was called a busy signal and you had to act to like hang up and call back later uh ooh, terrifying like that's you know um when i was a kid if you had to do research for a prop like a paper at school you had to go to a building called a library and you had to like open up books like encyclopedias and you had to pull like articles off the walls in order to get information when i was a kid you actually had to get up out of the chair to change the channel on the tv uh, that would be terrifying today because we have 600 channels. <laughs> like, how, how long would you be standing there? Uh, when I was a kid, we only had three, and that's only if you got the bunny ears just right. And it was always French. Why did French come in best? I don't know. Um, when I was a kid, you had to wait till 6 p.m. in the evening to get the day's news. You had no idea what was happening until you got home, turned on the news, and then you found out what was going on in the world. Uh, when I was a kid and you wanted to send someone a message, you had to put a stamp on an envelope and walk into to the post office and put it in the mail. And then you had to wait days for that person even to receive the message before they had to do the same thing to write you back. And you just realize how much things have changed. You know, today we have, we whirled at our fingertips. I can do all those things in like the next 30 seconds with the phone in my pocket. We can get almost anything in a moment's notice. To the point where, you know, you have people who are not sure if they can go into a restaurant to have a coffee if they don't have Wi-Fi there or, you know, 5G internet thingies, you know, because they need to keep it. People are worried that something's going to happen in the next 10 minutes that's going to be such a crisis that they can't just sit down to have coffee with a friend. So I'm not even sure we can even comprehend what it must have been like having to wait and wait for that very first Christmas to arrive. Because until until that moment in that, you know, stable in Bethlehem so long ago, the world had not been waiting thousands of days. It had been waiting thousands of years for Jesus to come. I mean, Christmas was a promise that God made right at the very beginning. Even going back to the, the Garden of Eden, you see shadows of this promise that God was making. And God kept reminding people of that promise over and over, that the Savior is coming The prophets spoke about it. The psalmists sang about it. The histories kept alluding to it. And over time, kingdoms came and kingdoms went and empires, you know, rose and vanished into history and generation after generation passed and time marched on and on and on. So when that moment finally came, you can only sort of imagine the excitement it must have unleashed. After so long a wait, the time has come can only sort of imagine the joy that was possible when the promise that the world had been waiting for for so long was made real. And it was not just the earth that would celebrate that moment. Heaven itself would open up in celebration. Even the angels got an invitation to the party. And we read about that very moment in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified and filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth among those with whom he is pleased. And this is a moment that I think has sort of captured our imaginations. I mean, just think of all the songs, you know, that we sing about it. Hark the herald angels sing. It came upon a midnight clear First Noel, angels we've heard on high. What an amazing scene that must have been. I still feel sorry for the shepherds. <laughs> like it just they were. Oh, that must have been a rough thing. Shepherding would have been so boring, like day after day, all the sheep, sheep, sheep. Then angels. Like, it's no wonder they were terrified. I would think angels showing up would be a pretty big deal. But I guess what I want you to hear in all this is, even though the angels were a big deal, The angels are not, nor were they ever, the point of the story. But the point of the story is contained in the message that those angels showed up to proclaim. That message of good news, of great joy, that the world had been waiting so long to hear. The message that Jesus had finally come. And I want us just, this morning, just to take a look at the angels' words, the angels' message in more detail. Because even though there's, it's not long passage, these simple words hold a, just a profound depth of truth of what Christmas truly means. And the first thing I think we all need to see is that this was a message that was intended for all people. In fact, they say so. Verse 10, The An angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And to be honest, I think that probably would have come as a surprise to a lot of people back then. Uh, Mostly because I think that everyone just assumed that the promise of God to send a Savior was something that was kind of a Jewish exclusive. I mean, Gentiles need not apply. This is going to be the Messiah of the Jewish people. Because Jesus was born at a time when there there were some people you didn't associate with. And Jews did not associate with Gentiles. The rich didn't hang out with the poor. The slaves didn't fellowship with their masters. Men set themselves apart from women. The self-righteous excluded themselves from the presence of sinners. The healthy separated themselves from the sick. And nobody but nobody was ever seen in the company of a tax collector. There was lots of division. And yet when we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus rubbing shoulders with all of those people and more. Lepers, prostitutes, Samaritans, tax collectors, criminals, the poor, even Gentiles. Jesus welcomed them all. Because that's why he came. To be a savior for all people. And I think part of the genius of that happens, um, of that made that happen, it comes in verse 12. It says, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, and lying in a manger. You know, I had uh, I had a chance to meet Chuck Swindoll, who's kind of a personal hero of mine. I love his ministry. Me and Kathy actually supported his ministry uh, many decades ago. And he was in Edmonton for some conference. And so the, the ministry invited all the people who supported him to a sort of a meet and greet. And I'll tell you, I was so nervous <laughs> at that moment. I'm not sure I had the courage to even say hello. I was sort of starstruck. And that's a fellow pastor. Now imagine how intimidating it would be to meet God in the flesh. I actually heard someone once ask a question, if you were God, how would you enter the world without terrifying people? And the answer is in verse 12. You come as one who's helpless. Come as one who's powerless. Come as one who is the poorest of the poor you come as a baby born in a manger because no one's afraid of a baby who's born in a manger. And that must have been such a step down for Jesus. I mean, Jesus went from sitting at the right hand of the throne of God in glory to to lying in a manger inside a barn full of manure. But just in case the message isn't clear enough, God made sure that the very first visitors were a bunch of shepherds. I mean, after all, in that culture, shepherds were one of those groups that nobody hung out with. They were the lowest of the low, the excluded, the, the last refuge of, where, of people who had nowhere else to go. And yet, they were the very first ones that God invited to see the birth of the King of Kings. Because the message God wanted people to understand is that if Jesus is willing to, and eager to welcome a shepherd, he would be willing and eager to welcome anybody. No one would be excluded. No one would be left on the outside looking in. From the greatest to the least, from the richest to the poor, there would be no one that Jesus would not be willing to reach. I actually love the words of Max Licato, who writes on this topic, where he says, there's not a hint of one person who was afraid to draw near Jesus. There were those who mocked him. There were those who were envious of him. There were those who misunderstood him. There were those who revered him. But there's not one person who considered him too holy or too divine or too celestial to touch. There was not one person who was reluctant to approach Jesus out of fear of being rejected. Because right from the very start, Jesus would set the tone, and he would be a savior for any and all people. Which leads us to the next part of this message, and the reason that Jesus came in the first place, as the angels proclaim in verse 11, that unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. And the Bible tells us Jesus has many things to offer us. You know, life in Christ, it's full of so many blessings. There's peace, there's joy, there's contentment, there's meaning, there's love. I actually often read a little poem about Christ. It says, in Christ we have a love that can never be fathomed, a life that can never die, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, a peace that can't be understood, rest that can never be disturbed, joy that can never be diminished, hope that can never be disappointed, and light that can never be darkened. We have a purity that can never be defiled, beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, and resources that can never be exhausted. And those are just about a few of the blessings that Jesus brings us. But you know, over and above all of those other things, one blessing stands out above all of those others, that Jesus came first and foremost to be our saviour. That Jesus came to offer us forgiveness and freedom from the bondage and the penalty of sin. And he did that through his death on the cross. And that means that Christmas and Calvary are forever linked. The cradle and the cross, they can't be separated. Christmas cannot simply be a nice story about a baby born in a manger who grew up to teach people nice things, it's about the cross. It's about that baby growing up and Jesus laying down his life to pay the penalty on the cross for the sins on our behalf. In fact, listen to just a small sample of what the Word of God has to say about it. Uh, 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans three twenty three to 25 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And even Matthew 26, verses 27 to 28 says, then he, that's Jesus, took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This Christmas, when you look upon that manger scene, don't just see a baby lying in a manger. See Jesus for who he truly is. See him as your savior. See him as your redeemer. See him as the one who came to die in your place to set you free and offer you forgiveness. Because knowing why Jesus came is essential to experiencing the full joy of Christmas morning. Which brings us to the angels' words at the end of verse 11, where the angels also proclaim that this is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And those are just, I mean, a few short words, but they are so full of meaning. Because something else that is essential about Christmas is not just knowing why Jesus came, but knowing who Jesus is. And the angels proclaim, he is Christ, the Lord. And when we speak about his lordship, uh, we might go to a passage like Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse nine. It says, therefore God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God, the Father. But I think maybe John's gospel sums it up best. In John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is Lord. He's God incarnate. He was the creator of the universe who entered into his own creation. He's Lord, Lord of the angels, Lord of the heavens, Lord over the earth, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of lords. And knowing who Jesus is is important because just as we heard, Jesus would pay the penalty for sin upon the cross and only a person without sin could do that. Jesus was the only worthy sacrifice. Jesus could be the lamb without defect who could die for the sins of the world to offer us forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ is Lord. And yet the angels don't stop at just saying that he's Lord. Um, They say he's Christ the Lord. And sometimes we overlook that at Christmas, but we can't. And when the Bible uses that word Christ, it's it's not saying that that was Jesus' last name. It's saying Jesus Christ is not like saying Joe Smith or John Jones or anything like that. Christ isn't a name. It's a title. It would actually be better to call him Jesus the Christ. And that word Christ in the Greek is, is just a reflection of the word uh, Messiah in Hebrew. And both of those words in either language, whatever one you're looking at, They literally mean the anointed one. It's saying Jesus was the anointed one of God. And what's interesting is there's three roles in the Bible where God anointed someone to fulfill the roles. He anointed prophets, he anointed priests, and he anointed kings. And what this is saying is that Jesus is the ultimate perfection of each and every one of those things. That Jesus is the great high priest who intercedes on our behalf flawlessly. And that he is the ultimate prophet who spoke perfectly for God. He was the word made flesh. And that Jesus is the king of kings. The king eternal whose reign will never end. The savior who was coming would be prophet, priest, and king. Because he was the Christ. The anointed one of God. And really, that's the message of Christmas, that the angels showed up to proclaim. That Jesus was the promised Messiah, the anointed one, prophet, priest, and king. That he is Lord, you know, he's God Almighty in the flesh. That he came to be our Savior, dying on the cross for our sins as the perfect Lamb of God. And that his coming would be good news for all the people. And I hope that's a truth that you understand fully this morning. Because it's a truth that continues to be true and continues to change lives even to this day. Because Christmas means our Savior has come and he is Christ the Lord. And now even as I said, we are six sleeps away from Christmas. And if you're like me, every year Christmas sneaks up on me. I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. And then it's here and I'm like, where did it come from? It's always here faster than you expect it. So I don't want to miss an opportunity this morning just to offer you a few practical steps that I hope can just, in these last days we have left, get our hearts ready for Christmas to celebrate it truly and properly. And I always like to give you some of this kind of advice every year. Uh, But here are a few things you can do to prepare your heart for Christmas. First thing I want you to do is just, this is so hard, try and slow down your life. Just try and do less. This Christmas. See, I know I've been to Costco and malls in those days before Christmas. It's crazy out there. Um, I know what it's like. It's chaos, it's confusion, it's clutter. There's so many things we have to do. Christmas can be one of the busiest and most stressful times of the year. But you can't let that busyness overwhelm you. Try to do less. And try to take some time every day just to reflect. Because it's hard to be filled with wonder when you don't even have time to catch your breath. So try and slow down. Second thing I encourage you to do is spend time in the Bible reading through the Christmas story the way God himself told it to us. You know, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke and even John have some incredible things to say about Jesus coming to earth as a child. You can even spend time reading it with your family just a little bit every day. And even though we may have heard those stories, I mean, a hundred times, we probably all heard those words before. It's always good to hear them again because reading the Bible is one of the best ways you can spend your time this time of year. And it's one of the best ways to help us keep our focus on Christ. Now, the third thing I want you to do this year is very personal, but that's, I want to make sure that you respond to the message of Christmas that you've just heard. You know, in Luke 2, our passage continues in verse 15. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And the angel, where the shepherds heard the, the message, the angels proclaimed, they got up and they went to find their Savior. They didn't ignore the news. They didn't, they didn't sort of say, well, you know, Savior's come. Let's, let's, let's make an appointment next week to try to, try to you know, fit them in. They responded to the truth. And the same should be true for us because the message of Christmas is a personal one. Because Christmas is not just a holiday we celebrate once a year or date on a calendar. It should be the reality of our hearts each and every moment. And maybe you're going through a hard time right now and you're not sure how you're going to get through it. Maybe you're discouraged, disappointed, with problems sort of piling up all around you. Maybe you're fearful. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you've suffered loss. I want you to hear this. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus was willing to enter into our world. And that means he's willing to enter into our loneliness. Enter into our fears, into our failures, into our sorrow, into our lives just as they are, to be our Savior. In fact, listen to the angels' words again. They say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for people. Today in the shadow of David, a Savior has been born to you. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. The angels' message was this baby is your Savior. He's your King. He's your Christ. He is your gift from God, just for you. So we all need to decide what place Jesus is going to have in our lives. We all need to decide if we will receive him for the reason that he came and make him our savior. Because as I talked about briefly last week, the best way to celebrate Christmas is to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus came to give us. And then finally this morning, this Christmas season, last thing I would ask you to do is... Be living with a sense of expectation. Because one of the great truths of Christmas is that the story isn't over yet. Because Jesus came that very first Christmas to earth as a baby in a manger so long ago. But as his followers we know, he's coming again. And just like those people who were waiting for that very first Christmas so long, long ago, we can live our lives living knowing that every day that passes is one day closer to that day that we get to see Jesus again. We're one day closer to our blessed hope, one day closer to the return of our Lord. But you know, whether we see him in this lifetime or the next, Jesus coming again will be the greatest moment this world has ever known. In fact, I've read this before, but I, I think the words say it so well. It says, the first time Christ came, he came veiled in the form of a child. The next time he comes, he will come unveiled and it will be abundantly and immediately clear to all the world who he really is. The first time he came, a single star marked his arrival. The next time he comes, the whole heavens will roll up like a scroll. The first time he came, there was no room for him at the inn. The next time he comes, the whole world will not be able to contain his glory. The first time he came, only a few attended his arrival. The next time he comes, every eye shall see him. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every knee shall bow. The first time he came, he came as a baby. But soon and very soon, he will come as the sovereign king and Lord of all. I love those words. They give me goosebumps every time I read them because they remind us again. That the Lord Jesus Christ, who we exalt, is not just a baby in a manger. He's far, far more. Because the angels really did speak the truth. That I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this Christmas season is, wow, what a reason to celebrate. Celebrate that truth that our Savior has come. And may we rejoice in that. May, you know, that Jesus Christ is, came into the world and he is Lord and God to save us from our sins. And Lord, Christmas changes everything. That truth that Jesus came to be our Savior, it's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between joy and joy and discouragement between peace and worry. It's the difference between salvation and being lost in sin. And I pray that, Lord, we would take those moments, that we would try to slow down this Christmas season to remember that and reflect on it and spend time in the Word reading about it and that Christ would not get lost in just the busyness and the hustle and bustle, but that, Lord, we would take time to accept the gift that has been offered to us in Jesus Christ and make it, make him our own. And we know that, Lord, you are coming again. And that truly is our blessed hope. And I pray that, Lord, again, that we would just rejoice in the truth that Christmas proclaims to us. That it is good news of great joy that will be for all people that you sent us a Savior. And he is Christ the Lord. Amen.